0: Hello and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Dr. Nobuyuki Hino, who is a professor of language and culture at Osaka University. Very nice to make your acquaintance, Professor.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Haswell or Chris Sensei. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm, I feel really honored to, to be on your program. Thank you.
0: Oh, the the honor is all ours. It's quite an interesting story how we've made this connection because uh, of your connection to Dr. Aya Matsuda and also Dr. Dr. Mabubi Akshandar and that kind of connection came together. Mm -hmm. The paper that we're going to be talking about today is Endonormative Models of EIL for the Expanding Circle. So EIL is English as an international language. And in previous podcasts, we've gone over what the expanding circle means in connection to world Englishes and global Englishes. So to begin the interview, could I ask you what first interested you in this field?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, well, it's a long story. Uh, let's see. Well, it goes back to uh, exactly 50 years ago, 1970 it's the year the the beatles disbanded uh, are you from the uk right right yes so i am so yes. the great yeah great music <laughs> band from your country yeah and so what happened in 1970 so the disbanding of the beatles and also the book by kunihiro masao kunihiro masao is a pioneer japanese simultaneous interpreter and also a cultural anthropologist and he wrote a book in 1970, Eigo no Hanashikata, the English title is English Works for You so he wrote it in Japanese and he discussed it uh, what he discussed there was the what he called Eigo no datsu that's uh, he later translated it uh, like uh, the Anglo-Americanization of English So he he argued that uh, the Anglo-Americanization of English is occurring. And also he talked about the diversification of English or varieties of English. So, and on top of that, he claimed that, well, Japanese English should be valuable as a means of uh, communicating or representing Japanese values or East Asian values, okay? So I was uh, just a a first year junior high school student. I was 12 at that time. So I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I uh, intuitively felt something must be there, something important, okay? Later in senior high school, I encountered another book, this time by uh, a book by Suzuki Takao, and in that 1975 book, uh, he discussed his concept of English. English is also or well, international English, the Anglo-Americanized English for international communication. Okay, and uh, Suzuki Takao also argued that Japanese English uh, should be uh, valued as a, uh, for expressing Japanese culture or Japanese values. Or, international means of communication for japanese people and so those two books uh, had a great impact on me although first i didn't understand what they were really talking about by the way interestingly those two books became bestsellers in japan see uh this is very something very interesting about japan already in the 1970s the general public was exposed to the idea of English as an international language okay well usually it is supposed that uh, that kind of notion exists only in post-colonial environment like India or Singapore
0: hmm. yeah
1: it happened in the expanding circle. going back to my own story so after entering university well by the way I was a law major uh, so I wouldn't get into why I chose law rather than English but anyway so Let's see. Again, my senior year of a university, I encountered, I encountered Larry Smith's article in TESOL Quarterly. That, that's a classic article called Smith and Rafik Tzart, 1979. 1979. And in, in, his, in their experiment, they showed that, uh, well, they compared the international intelligibility of varieties of English, and they showed that the Japanese English is no less intelligible than American English. Of course, in that one particular experiment, but uh, there's a limitation, of course, but still, still, I, I really thought, well, Eureka, Eureka, right? Uh, this is it, this is it. With the influence of uh, Kunihiro's book and Suzuki's book, so I came to have the idea of Japanese English, especially after I entered university, uh, I, I had chances, opportunities to speak with American professors or British professors. What I felt was uh, so American English uh, is a means of expressing American values. So why not Japanese English for expressing Japanese values? That was my idea. But still, even after that, I was also wondering but what, what about intelligibility? Is Japanese English understood by people across the world? But that Le- Smith and the paper really gave me confidence and in Japanese English. It's a long story, but I, I guess that's the beginning. Uh, oh, thank
0: you very much. It's, it's it's kind of similar to my own story a, a few years later, but uh, I was interested when I was doing my master's degree. It was mm. the most interesting course that I took in global Englishes. I was looking to mm-hmm. study under Dr. Alastair Pennycook at the University of Sydney.
1: Oh, oh I see. Dr. Pennycook, yes. Yeah,
0: And so, and his the course packs that he would put together would be things like Larry Smith, uh, Smith and Rafagzad, also uh, the 1985 paper um, mm-hmm. for the three circles model. Um, right. It's interesting that you refer to developments of English in the expanding circle when the expanding circle hadn't even been defined yet. Like that would right. be another right. 15 years before mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <Jenna>. <laughs> to, uh, to put those for the people who are listening who don't know what these circles are, in 1985, Braj Khatru. Put, put out a paper arguing that there were three circles of English. The inner circle were the uh, donor countries, the ex-colonial uh, countries where English was used as a first language. The outer circle were the ex-colonies, as you say, places like India and uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Then the expanding circle was everybody else, which would, of course, include uh, Japan and other parts of uh, other parts of Asia. My story is pretty similar in that yeah. sense. It's so similar, in fact, that my major was law. Oh, so, really? <laughs> so I, I I think we've followed fairly similar trajectories on this one. It's mm-hmm. probably why mm-hmm. I uh, I said to Matsuda Sensei that probably uh, hers was my most quoted work. But going back oh. through my published papers, I think I've quoted you mm-hmm. maybe second or third oh thank so, you i feel honored <laughs> <laughs> no it's i think i think it's because the you, the work that you do and the work that matsuda sensei does is very close to my way that i view english as well so oh, i feel very I comfortable uh mm-hmm. working uh with you on that one in fact mm, the the chapter that we're we're talking about endonormative models of eil for the expanding circle uh, mm-hmm. comes from a book that was edited by matsuda sensei yeah so um, right mm-hmm. uh, so Let's, let's get into the paper then. The part of the reason why I like uh, reading your work is it, it seems to me, and also um, Dr. Rakshandiru mentioned, it was important that your work is of practical benefit to ah. students, mm-hmm. that there's a pedagogical benefit for teachers. Mm-hmm. Why is that important to you?
1: Well, yeah, uh, that's a great question. You see, well, my belief is uh, research should not be for research's own sake. Okay. research has social responsibility and uh, for our area of English language teaching or ELT, it should have pedagogical benefit. It should go to do to students or teachers. I really take it for granted that our research should have some, some practical benefit for students and teachers and in some way. Actually, uh, when I say uh, practical benefit, I also include spiritual benefit so if i may say this uh, because i mentioned the beatles beatles just a few minutes earlier my ultimate goal is to increase love and peace actually so our research and our teaching should increase love and peace in this world ultimately so for that for that goal for that goal towards that goal our, our research should have some well, pedagogical benefit on the way.
0: I think that's a point that was brought up uh, when I interviewed Dr. Amar Maboub. We were talking about the relationships with nature and how different species express themselves in different ways. Mm -hmm. And if we could understand these connections to nature and connections to mm-hmm. other environments, then we would, mm-hmm. uh, we would actually increase peace in the world. So you want to make uh, what you term a MJE, so a model mm-hmm. of Japanese English. Yes, And in the paper, you argue that there should be two criteria for good Japanese mm-hmm. English, that, that there would be the capability of expressing Japanese values mm-hmm. and having international communication. But you mm-hmm. mentioned that they are potentially inversely proportional so an increase Mm -hmm. in one might lead to a decrease in the other Mm -hmm. to you are they equally important
1: yeah yes well thank you for your question yes for me they are equally important okay so let me explain first uh yeah uh, as you say i think they are these those two criteria potentially inversely proportional. The more strongly you project your unique identity, the less efficient the communication can be. And actually, I remember Dr. Fred Anderson presently at uh, Cancer University gave an excellent presentation on this dilemma between identity and communication uh, at the 1995 international association for world Englishes conference so i would give credit to uh, uh, professor fred anderson for this idea but any uh, by the way if i'm uh, if i I may divert from from uh, from our discussion this dilemma between is my japanese english i think native speakers would say dilemma of a and b rather than dilemma between a and B. But uh, intuitively, I think for non-native speakers, uh, I think it's easier, dilemma between has more intuitive appeal because we are, we are talking about a conflict uh, between two things. Uh, going back to, to your question, yes, for, for me, for my position of EIL, those two are equally important. Because efficient, okay, efficient communication is important, but it is meaningless if you, if you are deceiving yourself or your identity. So if I may add uh, one thing to this point, this is also a difference between world Englishes and ELF. Okay? People often ask questions, what's the difference between world Englishes and ELF? So as an academic school of thought, world English scholars tend to put more emphasis on identity representation of identity rather than smooth communication okay they look into both but the i think the focus is on on the former right partly because of uh, the fact that you mentioned earlier actually because uh world englishes grew out of the post-colonial environment so the idea was to represent the local values in their own local englishes so i think that's the historical background of why world english scholars tend to focus more on identity on the other hand elf scholars in my understanding elf scholars tend to focus more on smooth communication than identity in fact elf studies are often based on the notion that accommodating yourself to your interlocutor the most important aspect of ELF, like Professor Jenkins. You interviewed Professor Jenkins,
0: right? I did, I did. On the point of accommodation versus identity, I think that's basically because World Englishes tries to isolate people in locations. They are labeled essentially as hyphenated English speakers from a certain location. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas, as Professor Jenkins has said herself many times, ELF has no location it's only the mm-hmm. it's only the communication that matters
1: yeah that's true well nation state in nation state framework has been important for world english studies yes yeah yeah we uh, we are aware that nation state framework really has its own limitations well, but the historical background was, as, as we already talked about. Like, uh, if if I may say this, uh, so Professor Kachiru you mentioned. Okay? Professor Kachiru was a serious academic and uh, really a most respectable scholar, but he was also, as far as I see, patriotic. Uh, he was from India and he wanted to also speak for India. The, he, and he, are in, in his 1976 article that uh, Indian English, is primarily for Indians to talk with each other. So British people or American, um, American scholars should have no say about their standard, They should not intervene or something like that. So he was positively patriotic in a good sense, I, I, I would say. So uh, I think that explains partly why the nation state framework has been important for World English Studies. So that kind of philosophy underlies the World English Studies.
0: Yeah, World English to me has always uh, been... Kind of a, a, an international communication way of looking to things because it 's the communication between two different locations mm-hmm. so but whereas global Englishes and English as an international language are more globalized mm-hmm. where you're ah, attempting, yeah, yeah. attempting to create a culture of shared communicative mm-hmm. competence
1: that 's right, so partly because elf really grew out of europe eu borderless mm-hmm. eu rather rather than nation state framework uh, the uh, They they are more interested in borderless uh, intercultural communication. I think that's part of it.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, um, but this uh, connection to nationality can also lead to nationalism. Now, we, you could say that there's, there's positive kind of cultural nationalism, that you're wanting mm-hmm. to project a positive mm-hmm. image of your country onto the, onto mm-hmm. the world stage. But you also mm-hmm. mentioned in your paper that nationalism mm-hmm. is a double-edged sword. There's a yeah, possibility I- indeed, indeed. for indeed. negative connotations. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this a genuine concern of yours? Or yeah, has this it's, been it's, a concern of yours?
1: Well, it's a genuine concern of mine. So uh, first of all,
0: uh, we should be
1: careful about any categorization, okay? Not only nation-state framework. Once we categorize something, we, we could have, unless we are very careful, we could have, uh, well, stereotyping and labeling and even othering, right? So uh, there's that danger. Well, that's an inherent danger of any categorization. They, especially the nation-state framework. Well, Japan has a very, uh, Negative history uh, about English language teaching from that viewpoint uh, Look at the uh, English language textbooks uh, during World War II in Japan Textbooks were limited in those days, in wartime And the, the America was enemy, Britain was enemy Still, still uh, there were English textbooks well, But the content, was, the content was They tried to exclude Anglo-American culture And they tried to uphold the superiority of Japanese culture So that was an ethnocentric textbook, although it was English for Japanese values, okay, in a sense, in a sense, because they expressed, they replaced American English, British names with Japanese names like Hanako and things like that, and the content was like, we pray for the brave Japanese soldiers, so in a way it's a representation of Japanese values, but but the but it's not EIL as far as I'm concerned. This is not EIL textbook because EIL has to be based on uh, the balanced view of cultures. Okay? Right. So prejudice against other cultures is the well, farthest away from EIL. In that way, so nationalism really w- worked negatively against EIL. But on the other hand, uh, as we as we have been talking about nationalism in. Uh, in the outer circle you mentioned or post-colonial environment was a driving force really driving force for standing up for their local englishes it's really a double-edged sword yes that's how yeah, i see
0: it uh, completely and so we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about braj katru and and even mm-hmm. up to today people like suras yeah. kanagaraja talking about yeah. the yeah. resistance um mm-hmm. i think that was you read Robert Philipson's book on linguistic imperialism and you get a very negative view of how English can be, if it's implemented Mm -hmm. top down, it can be quite destructive on local Mm -hmm. languages and local cultures. Mm
1: -hmm. But it was, um, I
0: think in 1999, the book that really turned, made me feel even more positive about language teaching was Mm -hmm. uh, Kanagaraj's book, uh, The Resisting Linguistic Imperial in the Expanding Circle Mm -hmm. and the ways that saying that it was quite quite an arrogant way of looking at English as this top down and there would be the local communities would just be accepting Mm -hmm. of everything and -hmm. he was saying no we take the textbooks we write our own names in we redraw the pictures we Mm -hmm. we acquire it for our own needs on that on that point of localism and mm-hmm. kind of essentializing different varieties of English. You raise mm-hmm. in your paper on page 31 about mm-hmm. language school commercials in Japan, kind of mm-hmm. essentializing American English. Mm-hmm. And this chapter was written in, I guess, 2011, published in 2012. Mm-hmm. And still today we have, if anyone's listening in Japan, they, you must have seen the commercials uh, for E.ON with Ishihara Satomi going to Canada, going to New York, And trying to speak like people from you know Toronto and (laughs) and New York and then even like uh, Mizuhara Kiko trying to get into Hollywood movies and being told um, that she can't get in because her uh, English is not Hollywood English so that was for the Geos (laughs) language commercial (laughs) so it still continues today that a sales point seems to be that certain varieties are essentialized so Mm -hmm. I was interested to ask you about the reception of your uh, model of Japanese English um, by your students?
1: Oh, I see. Okay, so, uh, well, I I run my own questionnaire in every semester, uh, at the end of semester. Okay, this is for my reflective practice, so it's not uh, probably far from uh, from the viewpoint of uh, strict database researchers it's not a valid questionnaire probably but it's my my own for reflective teaching reflective practice now according to that questionnaire my view of japanese english and uh, EIL are over, they are overwhelmingly supportive i must say uh, what percentage i forgot but the great majority like like my idea of japanese english they say they say they were pleasantly surprised to encounter this idea because they had had uh inferiority conflicts about their their Japanese, well, their their English, I would say, and uh, they say they were sub- pleasantly surprised to learn that Japanese English could be could be a valuable means of international communication and cultural self-expression. So I'm glad they uh, they agree with my idea, but but I also add that uh, to my students, you should also take a look. You should consider my opinion critically. So you should. You don't have to accept my idea as it is uh, okay be critical about my idea too okay
0: so let's let's go into your mje model of japanese english mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, go to the descriptors you've list five ways in which the model of japanese english can be explained and mm-hmm. then used in the classroom and mm-hmm. so these are uh, phonological grammatical lexical mm-hmm. discourse and yeah. sociolinguistic mm-hmm. kind of to put it into reverse because you've just been talking about your students' response to it and, that's, uh, yeah. and, and their mm-hmm. feelings of inferiority, that is a sociolinguistic uh, ah. element of the model. Do right. you think in right. terms of student confidence, the sociolinguistic mm-hmm. uh, part of it mm-hmm. um, being more accepting of Japanese performance of English, is that the most important part of the model?
1: That is one of the most important part of the models being confident of their own culture when their culture is brought into their English, uh, the English they use, it should not be viewed as intervention or inter—I mean interference, or rather than just a transfer or even positive transfer. In terms of that attitude, yes, this is one of the most important factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting, as I
0: was reviewing the work, uh, I was remembering mm-hmm. the interview that I did with Matsura sensei and mm-hmm. she brought mm-hmm. up uh, elements of kind of local lexical additions to the language, and and she used yeah. the example from your mm-hmm. chapter of oh, Annie yes. and Ototo, oh, the yes. way that you have an My older favorite. brother yeah. and a younger mm-hmm. brother. Now in in Western societies, there isn't generally that much difference mm-hmm. anymore in mm-hmm. the role in the family of the older brother or the younger yeah. brother or the older right. sister or the mm-hmm. younger sister, mm-hmm. but it's still a very obvious part of. Japanese culture and also other Confucian-oriented cultures. Yeah, that's right. Asia, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So could you give any more examples of lexical items that your students now feel more confident to include in their conversations?
1: Well, one example from American English, uh, the, uh, let's the fifth anniversary of Michael Jackson's death, the 10th anniversary of Michael Jackson's death. So native speakers tend to use anniversary for happy things, both for happy things and sad things right but uh japanese students say uh they 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 feel they would feel offended if someone says the first anniversary of your father's death now so i recommend commemoration uh, instead of anniversary the first commemoration of my father's death but that sounds more japanese and uh, and actually i i present this example to uh to international students. So actually, most international students also agreed with this uh, mm. Korean student, Chinese students, and Iranian students too. Okay. So they preferred commemoration rather than anniversary. Okay. So, so even, even, across,
0: one, even across cultures, uh, it was yeah. agreed right. that this was a, a, a more... That's
1: interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it, may, it may be associated with a Christian culture, uh, the concept of a life and death, when we attend Christian, Christian funerals, some Japanese people are surprised uh, because uh, uh, sometimes the atmosphere is lighter, lighter than we expect. It's the difference between uh, Japanese culture and uh, Judeo-Christian culture about uh, uh, what happens after death. Okay? So I think there's a philosophical aspect to this. But, but this, is, this, this is going to be a long discussion, uh, so I wouldn't get into that anymore here.
0: That's an interesting, that is an interesting point to bring up though, because by bringing up these things in class, it Mm -hmm. illustrates how closely tied languages are to the culture in which they were, they were made. And so Mm -hmm. if they were only the American or the British varieties of English, then Mm -hmm. everyone's communication would be coded in a culture that is not Mm -hmm. their own. So Mm -hmm. having, Mm -hmm. having the criteria of being able to express Japanese values Mm -hmm. requires there Mm -hmm. to be a change. Uh, in these uh, ways that we describe the model. I teach all levels
1: of class, master's class and, uh, and my PhD supervision, but also I teach undergraduate ELT classes, uh, ESL, EF, EFL classes, and there we often read Al Jazeera, Times of India, Al-Arabia, The Point from Gambia, Gambian newspaper, and many other newspapers across the world to expose my students to varieties of values across the world so rather than looking into only cnn or bbc okay?
0: i always uh recommend uh, on top of things like free media like bbc i always mm-hmm. recommend that you take a look at uh mm-hmm. al jazeera also mm-hmm. take Great a look idea. at things like mm-hmm. uh straits times and <laughs> oh yes uh,
1: right we often watch cna cna singapore in my class too yeah Chinese news asia they enjoy the differences they enjoy the phonological differences and uh, well but as you say syntactic differences are rather small but mm-hmm. there are uh, some interesting differences in vocabulary, like uh, when we read al Arabia or al jazeera, there are some some islam Islamic terminology uh, uh, well starting with Ramadan and uh, many other things so well that's a real cultural experience, and my students really enjoy that cultural learning
0: uh, has it inspired any of your students or you know with more confidence to travel more or to do their own research into uh mm-hmm. english as an international language
1: yeah well uh, so, some of them say so uh well they are a first year second year uh undergrad students so mm-hmm. i don't know what has, what has happened to <laughs> them actually mm-hmm. <laughs> so but yeah some, some some of them say that they want to find more about eil yes that's right
0: speaking about the mje uh mm-hmm. how do you counter criticisms that expanding circle endo models. So models that don't take direct influence from mm-hmm. other world standards, you know, for example, like American or mm. British mm-hmm. How can these models of English like MGE be mm. effectively tested because this oh. is a criticism that comes up quite a lot and it's something that I'm dealing with in the current project mm-hmm. that I'm doing the mm-hmm. I am deeply invested in ELF, but the mm-hmm. question always comes up. What about testing? What mm-hmm. about getting a score so how do you counter those kind of criticisms or problems?
1: Oh, that, that's a reality. But we, we shouldn't be, firstly, we shouldn't be we're too, too, too worried about testing, right? Because testing is uh, in a way about results. And we should be more concerned with teaching first and then testing. So if we say, because testing is difficult, we should not do this. That's the other way around, really. Okay, so yeah, well, anyway, I do respect testing experts. They are doing a wonderful job. And uh, because uh, testing today is a really specialized area, I often refrain from commenting on testing because, uh, because there are real experts on that. But, but if I may comment on this uh, a little, I think the, uh, yes, testing of uh, EIL is, a, well, complicated one or complex one, but it should be possible. Uh, what is required is the widening of the scope, diversification of standards, but it, it should not be really impossible. For example, uh, well, about testing for receptive skills, uh, tasks involving varieties, varieties of English can be given, such as listening comprehension questions on conversations between, say, Chinese English and Brazilian English, talking about Greek culture or something like that. Okay, and in, in that case, scopes of exams are widened really with respect to linguistic and cultural aspects, but basically the same methods of testing should be applicable. They, they can be used in my understanding mm. as in conventional testing in American and British English. And for productive skills, which concern uh, MJE model of Japanese English that you mentioned, well criteria also need to be liberalized to allow for diversity. So for example, uh, in writing, in test of writing, a Japanese style of text organization may be accepted in writing in EIL. This kind of thing will make the job of examiners much more complex, but it's not impossible. That's how I see it. And if I may add one more thing, I think probably the most difficult part is to test the uh, Uh, communication skills, interactive skills in EIL. Mm. Really, that's the key for English as a lingua franca, especially ELF. How can you measure uh, their communication strategies? Well, we've been doing that in a subjective way. Uh, How can we do that more objectively? That's really a task we may be faced with. Let me add one more thing. I think we are familiar with the Aiken Aiken first grade test, step Mm -hmm. test. uh, Mm -hmm. Well, uh, for the international audience, it's an indigenous Japanese standardized test of English. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The highest, let's say, first step test interview is given in the second round. And uh, the examiners are usually one native speaker. So one, one examiner from the inner circle and one examiner from Japan. Japanese examiner plus American examiner or British examiner, Canadian examiner, Mm -hmm. and so on. So I I always wish if we could have, if the budget allows, if we could have one more examiner, maybe from the expanding circle or the outer circle, so examiner from India, examiner from Thai, something like that, those three examiners would make a very good team in terms of EIL and World Englishes.
0: I agree. And in the world of online teaching, and all of Mm -hmm. these interviews are recorded. So Mm -hmm. there's no reason why a a third party from another location couldn't uh, give feedback. That's a really interesting point, a really good idea. Mm. Um, I, I generally counter the testing point exactly as you do, which is to say that that's not the end of it. If you're only teaching or you're only learning for a specific test, then I think you end up with it with a lower quality of both teaching and learning. Um, When I was working with Dr. Joe Siegel, who we also uh, interviewed on this um, Mm -hmm. podcast, we used to work on listening. And we used to use a mantra from one of his professors, I can't, I can't remember the person's name, that Mm -hmm. used to say, teach then test then get out of the way because oh. oftentimes people the view of students is okay we're teaching for the test and then nothing more it's like no mm-hmm. the test is a signpost along the way of your right, a
1: signpost yes
0: your uh, progress but mm-hmm. there's still more ahead there's still more to come and if you have a test that was a little bit more open, a little bit more, as you say, liberalized, then mm-hmm. the, the student might feel more confident to speak. Uh, it's mm-hmm. interesting because I've, I just published a blog on our homepage this week uh, oh. on the topic of uh, language liberalism and the oh. difference between people like Professor Matara, Professor Jenkins, mm-hmm. yourself, myself, uh, who are linguistically liberal. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the, in the non-politicized sense that we are, are more open to changes and, and diversity. Right that if we could be more closely involved in the creation of these tests and i know that professor jenkins is working with a university in london right now to try and Mm -hmm. come up with an elf-based test Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. to either well replace or to at least run concurrently with ielts Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh, that might be something to look forward to in the future
1: oh yes yes
0: indeed on these based descriptors of models of English, the phonological, the grammatical, lexical, discourse, and sociolinguistic. I have a question for you, but it, it, it might take a while to explain it. Do you think that in other language classes around the world, particularly in first language use classes of English, do you think that having students break down their own language So having English students in England when they're learning about the English language, do you think it would help them understand English's place in the world if they had to break down their own use of the language into those five descriptors?
1: Let's see, oh, that's EIL education for British people or yes. native speakers of British, that's a very good point, because uh, actually Larry Smith was talking about that, uh, so we, we we talked about Larry's American pioneer for the internet, okay, uh, American pioneer of EIL, so now, Larry Smith already said it uh, in 1978, but well, mm. native speakers should also be learners of EIL. So uh, native speakers should learn how to interact with non-native speakers, indeed. And, uh, well, actually, sometimes I do have native speakers in my EFL classes, first year, second year undergraduate classes, and uh, they are exposed to varieties of English through my class. In my personal interview with them, they, f- they found it interesting and stimulating. That's what they said. So I think it's quite meaningful to, to be uh, exposed native speakers to varieties of English to change their awareness. That's a part of EIL education, really.
0: Yeah, we, we, this was a discussion that I had with Professor Jenkins that American users of English and British users of English are not just first language users, but oftentimes that's their only language. They're kind of mm. aggressively monolingual. And I, I remember speaking with uh, uh, Professor Smith about it. I was actually lucky enough to meet Larry Smith. Really? Uh, he did some consultancy work for Dizumekane PU, oh, and yes, he I came see. over and he yeah, he gave mm-hmm. me that month's edition of mm-hmm. World Englishes. And encouraged me to uh, to publish in there. It's it's something that I haven't yet managed to do, Uh but it was very uh, it was very inspirational to me.
1: Is that so? When was it? When was it? That would
0: be in about two
1: thousand nine. Well, Larry Smith, uh, he was one of the most respectable individuals uh, I've ever met. Uh, Well, he had really. uh, I mean, uh, what, what should I say? Really, what I call a balanced view of mm. cultures, mm. and he had a very positive attitude toward toward other cultures, and uh, well, we talked also about relig- religions, but uh, m- m- I shouldn't talk about that here on on this on this program. Maybe some other time.
0: Oh, okay. maybe maybe we can have you back, and we'll uh, we'll talk religion on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, uh, sure. But well, one thing that maybe I, I can say, he was also he was a very pious and dedicated Christian, but he was also understanding of other religions, and I I thought it it was very important for world peace, really.
0: Well, he he carried his attitude that attitude of Mm. cooperation into everything that he did so Mm -hmm. you're right that he was a very balanced person he was very centered within himself and so Mm -hmm. when talking about the Mm -hmm. theories that we want to the concepts that we want to endorse Mm -hmm. but also the realities of the world and the the situations that we live in he he lived right in the middle of those and uh in his read reading his work uh, I can mm. see why you'd be inspired by that because uh, ah, yeah. I think he, mm. he really had that balance mm. down. I think that we agree on, on quite a lot here. So uh, to move mm. the conversation on, I'd like to ask for your advice moving mm. forward. How can we sell this concept more widely mm. and mm. make EIL and ELF a more acceptable goal for language programs in Japan and, and even more widely?
1: I think uh, we should continue with what we are doing now, well, we should publish more uh, on the teaching of uh, uh, EIL and ELF and World Englishes. The thing is, traditionally, World English scholars and also EIL scholars were more interested in theoretical aspects, and uh, pedagogical practice uh, in a wide scale uh, began uh, just uh, maybe uh, a decade ago or so something like that Uh, rather recent although it's really uh, in full bloom now Uh, well anyway so we should continue with this uh, pedagogical application of uh, eil and world english's elf to actual classroom uh, we should um, write reports and uh, give presentations on, on our pedagogical practice and share with other teachers. And we should develop materials in EIL and many other things. Uh, we should do what we can do and we should continue.
0: So what's the end of... Uh, my interviews, um, I try mm-hmm. to ask people, particularly people in a, in a more mm-hmm. senior position uh, as yourself, I mean, monitoring mm-hmm. graduate students, supervising people doing mm-hmm. postdoctoral, uh, sorry, not postdoctoral, yeah. pe- people yeah. doing uh, mm-hmm. doctoral degrees. What advice do you have for students generally to mm-hmm. do these for example, I am infused by your by your calls to mm-hmm. keep moving forward, keep doing mm-hmm. what we're doing, yeah. and, and that that motivates me uh, mm-hmm. in my work, but in the work of your students, how do you advise them to keep up their motivation to do the research mm-hmm. to produce the yeah. uh, papers and uh, you know to achieve their goals?
1: I have, I think, I have two pieces of two pieces of advice, or well, maybe in Japanese we can say two advices, okay, rather than well whichever. Well, anyway, now, uh, I I. Th- <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, Okay, so one, I, I, one is, uh, well, in this area of study, ELF, EIL, and World Englishes, so many people have been doing research on attitudes, attitudes towards varieties of English. So if a prospective student uh, wants to, want to pursue this area of attitudes further, then I think they need some new perspective, because we already have a huge accumulation of studies regarding people's attitude towards varieties of English. So if, if they uh, still pursue uh, this topic, they should have some new perspective, which has not been explored very much so far. Uh, I think that, that would be important, because very often I see uh, uh, students are trying to only only replicate what, what, uh, what has been researched already. And my second piece of advice would be, uh, yes, so uh, as we discuss, uh, discussed earlier, people are now interested in pedagogical aspects of world English is ELF, and EIL. And in this case, in this case, I think they are those students should have some background, some background in ELT theories. For example, I think the students should know what does focus, focus on form mean? How is it different from focus on forms? And what is comprehensible input? What is content-based, uh, content-based instruction and things like that? I would say, so in other words, I want those students to read Jack Richards, for example, uh, as much as Jennifer Jenkins. Okay, so that's my second
0: advice. That would be absolutely great. I, I uh-huh. often, oftentimes work in with people who are teaching language courses who have only worked with applied linguistics. Mm-hmm. So trying to just simply make the difference between what is content-based and what's performance-based mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. oftentimes a very basic thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree that once you start looking at the language from a different perspective, so not from mm-hmm. the perspective of a student, but from one of... Uh, the teacher, or trying to look at it in a way that how would you make something more comprehensible to somebody else, then I think Mm -hmm. uh, you make that leap towards actually making yourself as a speaker of English more comprehensible. Mm -hmm. You don't just think about yourself, Mm -hmm. but you think about somebody else, and then you think about what the problem is, how to stage that back, and then how to improve so that problem doesn't happen again, like you are Mm -hmm. thinking like a language teacher at that point. Right, right. Mm Okay, so my final question is, um, could you tell us uh, what you're working on right now and uh, what Mm -hmm. we can expect from you in uh, the next, say, uh, next year, 18
1: months? (laughs) I see. Well, uh, thank you for your question. Well, uh, recently I've been working on pedagogy of uh, uh, EMI, English Medium Instruction. You see, this EMI, English Medium Instruction, is a real keyword. For our age now, it is it is a global trend uh, in in so many parts of the world. English medium instruction, especially in higher education, it is increasing on the increase. And uh, well, Japan is no exception. And my interest is uh, how can we make use of those EMI classes, like uh, psychology classes taught in English and biology classes taught in English, things like that. How can we make use of those classes as CLIL classes, especially CLIL for CLIL for ELF, CLIL for EIL. So I call this approach uh, cell field, uh, content and English as a English as a lingua franca uh, uh, integrated learning cell field. <laughs> so that's the term I came up. Now, so so I'm trying to develop uh, approach to this cell field, making use of or taking advantage of EMI classes. Uh, mm. For for CLIL for for elf for CLIL, uh, for CLIL for e- 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 I- So that's what I have been working on. That I want to develop some pedagogy for that.
0: Oh, that would be amazing. And also, uh, mm. I think we will have to have you back on to talk with, uh, mm. and maybe if we yeah. can organize a a panel because we've recently mm. spoken to Annette Bradford, and uh-huh. oh yes, yeah, oh, EMI, right? Yeah. EMI, and she put me in contact with two of the. Uh, Mm -hmm. editors of the new English as a Medium of Instruction journal. Oh, yeah, that's right. So uh, hopefully I'll be uh, speaking to them sometime soon and then maybe we can have uh, you back on or have two or three guests at the same time Mm -hmm. and and talk about this in a a positive way because going back to the thing that you said at the beginning of the interview, I agree with you that we should Mm -hmm. have a social responsibility as educators to uh, Mm -hmm. make sure that anything that is theoretical has a route to becoming practical. So right. I, I look forward to that work. Thank you very thank you. much for your time, Professor. The, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. The chapter we've been talking about is Endonormative Models of EIL for the Expanding Circle. I wish you all the best of luck with that work. I look forward to reading it. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you, Chris. My pleasure.
0: If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. Probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.